Our next talk is about Charlie Flexner. Most of you know him. He's at Johns Hopkins, and he um, is really an expert on pharmacology and especially drug-drug interactions. And while we think that dealing with HIV patients and their drug-drug interactions is challenging, you haven't seen anything yet. So <laughs> let's hear about the new drug-drug interactions with the new DAAs, et cetera. Thanks, Mike. Uh, it's always a real pleasure to be here with this group in New York and see a lot of familiar faces. And uh, I, uh, I uh, really, um, I'm really glad to see you all here because I think, although as Mike points out, there are a lot of challenges we're facing in treating HCV infection with DAAs, particularly in co-infected HIV co HCV co-infected patients. Um, there is light at the end of the tunnel, and I hope at the end of my presentation you'll all agree with me about that. So uh, this is a case-based um, session, so here's case number one. This is a 60-year-old Caucasian man with uh, uh, genotype 1B hepatitis C, diagnosed 11 years ago. Uh, liver biopsies uh, performed by Dr. Peters uh, in 2000, 2008, showing stage 2 and stage 4 fibrosis. Uh, HIV, HIV and HBV vaccinated, no drugs or alcohol. Um, HIV negative, um, so this is a mono-infected uh, case. Uh, past medical history, high cholesterol, seasonal rhinitis, and hypertension. And uh, the patient's currently taking hydrochlorothiazide, atorvastatin, and fluticasone nasal spray um, every day for his uh, rhinitis. Not an atypical, not an unusual case. So you decide to treat this patient with uh, PEG interferon, ribavirin, and bocepravir. Um, what kind of drug toxicities might you expect, uh, given the drug combinations here, if his medication regimen stays the same, that is, still taking hydrochlorothiazide, atorvastatin, and fluticasone spray? So this is audience response question number one. Um, which of the following would not be expected in this patient if you kept him on all of his meds and added bocepravir and uh, pegriba? Would you not expect rhabdomyolysis? anemia, hypocholesterolemia, secondary Cushing syndrome, or telogen effluvium? Those of you with smartphones can find out what a telogen effluvium is. Do I have to advance to get the answers, or will they do it automatically? Oh, good. Okay, well, 23% of you do not know what a telogen effluvium is. Um, Actually, that's the, that's the right answer. Um, maybe I should have said it the other way around. 77% uh, 70, of you do not know what a telogen effluvium is. So, so you would see um, possibly rhabdomyolysis from the increase in atorvastatin concentrations. Um, uh, you would see anemia probably from the uh, bocepravir PR. Um, you would see hypocholesterolemia from the increase in atorvastatin concentrations. You'd probably see secondary Cushing syndrome because the patient's on fluticasone, uh, but you would not see telogen effluvium, which is all of his hair falling out, uh, and that is not a known complication of any of these drugs, although maybe at the end of this session all of you will feel like you're about to have a telogen effluvium. Um, okay. Well, uh, let's uh, dive in then and talk about uh, what kind of drug interactions to expect with uh, bocepravir and tilaprevir particularly. This is really what's changed the landscape. Um, so uh, we'll, uh, we'll do that with a second audience response question. Which of these statements best describes the drug interaction potential of bocepravir? 
Uh, number one, it has a low potential for causing clinically significant drug-drug interactions. Number two, bosepravir inhibits cytochrome P453A4. Number three, bosepravir inhibits cytochrome P453A4 and 2D6. Four, bosepravir induces cytochrome P453A4. Five, bosepravir induces cytochrome P453A4 and 2D6. And six, answers two and four are correct. So let's vote and see which it is. Okay, uh, this is really interesting. <laughs> because it suggests to me I still have work to do. 14.8% uh, of you got what I would consider to be the correct answer. Uh, Bosepravir is known to be an inhibitor of cytochrome P453A4. It's not known to do any of these other things on the list. Um, and uh, what is curious about Bosepravir, however, is that it does cause some drug interactions that are not explained by its inhibition of 3A4, and the mechanism for those interactions is not yet known. But it is almost certainly not a uh, P450 inducer, and it's not an inhibitor of 2D6. So it's a 3A4 inhibitor, much like ritonavir. Okay, so let's move on. Um, this is a, a table summarizing the uh, effects of bosepravir and telaprevir on cytochrome P453A4 substrates. Uh, in this case, midazolam and atorvastatin, one of the drugs our patient was taking. And what you can see is that both of these drugs cause significant fold increases in the area under the curve for midazolam and atorvastatin. And, and so, uh, for example, uh, with midazolam, which is a pure 3A4 substrate, bosepravir increases the area under the curve on average a little more than fivefold. Uh, Tilaprevir increases the area under the curve ninefold. For atorvastatin, about a, a, a little more than a twofold increase with bosepravir and nearly an eightfold increase with tilaprevir. Um, this suggests that tilaprevir may be a more potent 3A4 inhibitor than bosepravir. And as you'll see as the talk progresses, generally speaking, if you look at the effects of these two drugs on the same 3A4 substrate, there's a greater effect with telaprevir than there is with bosepravir. So this is something that's become clear relatively recently. Six months ago, I could not have made that statement. But I think there's enough data emerging now to say that, on average, telaprevir is a more potent 3A4 inhibitor than is, uh, bosep uh, than is bosepravir. Digoxin is a pure P-glycoprotein drug transporter substrate. And interestingly, telaprevir doubles the digoxin area under the curve, suggesting that telaprevir is also a P-glycoprotein inhibitor in addition to being a 3A4 inhibitor. So that's kind of interesting and may, may become important later in the talk. So this is just a graph looking at the impact of telaprevir on the pharmacokinetics of a candidate 3A4 substrate, in this case atorvastatin, this uh, anti-cholesterol agent our patient was taking, showing this substantial increase in atorvastatin concentrations with telaprevir. And that uh, is reflected by a corresponding drop in formation of the major atorvastatin metabolite, orthohydroxyatorvastatin, and that's simply providing scientific proof that the interaction between atorvastatin and telaprevir is mediated by selective inhibition of cytochrome P453A4. Okay, so let's go back to our patient. 
Uh, he begins treatment with bosepravir, uh, peg interferon, and ribavirin. Four weeks later, his HCV RNA is undetectable. But now he's complaining of nausea after a dosing and a persistent bitter taste. And in addition, he reports finding it very difficult to take bosepravir three times a day or roughly every eight, every, every eight hours, not an uncommon complaint from our patients. And he wonders if there's any way he could take this drug uh, once or twice a day. So that leads me to my next audience response question. Which statement best describes the potential use of ritonavir to enhance the pharmacokinetic profile of HCVPIs? Uh, number one, ritonavir should not be used with these drugs. Number two, low doses of ritonavir significantly increase concentrations of bosepravir. Number three, bosepravir decreases concentrations of ritonavir. Number four, ritonavir boosts bosepravir, but not telapravir concentrations. Number five, ritonavir boosts concentrations of some investigational HCVPIs, but not telapravir or bosepravir. So let's vote and see what you think. Okay, good. Uh, the plurality got what I would consider to be the correct answer, number five. Uh, it is true, number two is also uh, true, partly true. Um, sorry, number three is partly true. Uh, Bosepravir decreases concentrations of ritonavir, but only a couple of you knew that. Um, but uh, the other answers on this list are incorrect. Uh, so. Um, let's find out why you can't use ritonavir with bosepravir and telapravir, but you might be able to use it with some other investigational PIs. So if you look at early data done in rats, this is uh, data from uh, Dale Kempf at Abbott. Uh, Abbott. The Abbott folks clearly showed that in rats, you could increase the AUC of both telapravir and bosepravir with ritonavir. Now the problem with these data is these were single-dose interaction studies. These were not steady-state interaction studies. And, and so that is an important caveat because ritonavir is a P450 inducer, and that often decreases this magnitude of, of an increase in the concentration of other 3A4 substrates. But if you switch from rats to people, uh, it doesn't look so good. So this is data on bosepravir and ritonavir, and what this shows you is, as I alluded to earlier, a modest 19% decrease in the area under the curve of ritonavir with bosepravir, and the mechanism of that is actually unknown. Um, but overall, no ability of ritonavir to boost bosepravir concentrations at steady state, so you really can't use ritonavir to give bosepravir as a once or twice daily drug. And the same is true for telapravir. So if you give single doses of telapravir and ritonavir, you actually do see some increase in telapravir concentrations. But as you continue to dose the ritonavir, that effect is reversed because of the in ritonavir's induction of cytochrome P453A4. So now, at, at the end of, of 10 days, there's more drug metabolizing enzyme around, and so telapravir is being eliminated at a faster pace. And at steady state at day 14, there's really no benefit of ritonavir on the concentrations of telapravir at the 750 milligram uh, dose. So you can't use ritonavir with telapravir either. Um, another important question, and one that hasn't been addressed with the Abbott drug, the Abbott protease inhibitor, which, for which they are using 
um, low-dose ritonavir as a booster, is the possible effect of low-dose ritonavir on selecting for HIV PI resistance in people who are HIV-HCV co-infected. And this is just a reminder that um, this is now, what, 18 years ago? Uh, Marty Markowitz sh uh, from uptown showed us that, um, uh, or maybe it's downtown from where we are, yeah, Marty Markowitz from downtown showed us that uh, 300 milligrams of ritonavir twice a day actually had significant anti-HIV activity. Um, it's just that when you used ritonavir 300 milligrams twice a day as monotherapy, uh, everybody rebounded because they all developed ritonavir resistance. So the question is if 600 milligrams of ritonavir a day induces HIV protease inhibitor resistance, will 100 or 200 milligrams of ritonavir a day also induce HIV protease inhibitor resistance if you don't combine it with other antiretroviral drugs? And I'm guessing the answer to that will be yes in at least some people. So I think there, do, there needs to be caution using ritonavir as a booster in HCV co-infected patients who are, who are already co-infected um, or who uh, might be at risk of co-infection with HIV. Okay, let's move on to a second case, and this now is a transplant case inspired by Dr. Peter's talk. So this is a 49-year-old woman with a hepatitis C a recurrence post-liver transplantation. You're called by the transplant surgeons to see this uh, patient um, who had her liver transplant six months ago, and they recently discovered that, lo and behold, her HCV has come back. Um, she's currently receiving tacrolimus as, her, as a part of her immunosuppressive regimen, uh, but the hep hepatologists are recommending treating her with telaprevir, interferon, and ribavirin. So that leads me to my next audience response question. Um, what, which of these statements best describes the effect of telaprevir on tacrolimus PK? Uh, telaprevir does not uh, alter tacrolimus PK, number one. Number two, telaprevir decreases the tacrolimus AUC. The three, telaprevir increases the tacrolimus AUC. Four, tacrolimus decreases the telaprevir AUC. Five, tacrolimus increases the telaprevir AUC. And number six, some of you might want to buy a vowel. I'm saying tacrolimus even though the hepatologists usually say tacrolimus, but it doesn't make sense to me why they say tacrolimus, but they don't say serolimus. So I, I prefer consistency. Okay. So, uh, again, very good. The plurality of you got the answer right. Um, not only does telaprevir increase the tacrolimus AUC, it increases it by a whopping amount. Um, in this uh, particular table, this is a look at the effect of bosepravir and telaprevir on the uh, area under the curve in Cmax for cyclosporin A, CSA, and uh, tacrolimus uh, TAC. And with uh, uh, telaprevir, what you see is a 70-fold increase in the AUC, uh, making it, I think, nearly impossible to give those two drugs together. Maybe this is like the example we talked about earlier with ribavirin and renal failure. You open up the jar containing the tacrolimus and you pass it underneath the nose of the patient. But uh, I, I wouldn't recommend that. Uh, bosepravir is not much better. 17-fold increase in the AUC of tacrolimus with bosepravir. Cyclosporin looks a lot more promising with these two drugs. A four-fold increase, 4.6-fold with telaprevir, and a 2.7-fold increase with bosepravir. So guidelines on the use of uh, bosepravir and telaprevir in um, uh, 
uh, uh, liver transplant patients are being developed. But if you had to do this tomorrow, um, I would say absolutely avoid the tacrolimus, probably avoid serolimus because we don't have any data yet. And um, if you have to maintain immunosuppression and you have to use one of these drugs, your best option is probably cyclosporin A at a 50% starting dose, use both Seprevir and do close therapeutic drug monitoring. But, but this is going to be tricky. Okay, let's move on to the final case. This is a 43-year-old Caucasian man with hemophilia, uh, factor VIII deficiency, chronic hep C, and a suppressed HIV infection, who comes to the office uh, having heard about these wonderful new HCV PIs and uh, asking about treatment. He had a cholecystectomy uh, uh, one year ago showing mild portal inflammation and cirrhosis. Uh, he's a married father of three, no drugs, alcohol, or tobacco. Uh, his uh, body mass index is 34 with extreme facial wasting and hepatosplenomegaly without ascites or edema. And he's currently taking, for his HIV infection, a boosted atazanavir at standard doses with tenofovir and emtricitabine, uh, recombinant factor eight as needed, and he does have a distant history of stavudine and didanosine use. So next audience response question. What change would you make to this patient's medical regimen uh, before starting anti-hepatitis C treatment? Would you increase his atazanavir, that should say, to 400 milligrams a QD with 100 milligrams of ritonavir? Should you change his tenofovir and tricytabine to zidovudine uh, lamivudine? Should you stop his uh, boosted atazanavir and begin raltegravir in its place? Should you stop the ritonavir? Should you stop all heart during the 12 to 24 weeks of HCV PI therapy? Or would you keep his medical regimen the way it is right now? So let's vote and see what you think. Okay, uh, so um, interesting. A split between people who would keep him on his boosted atazanavir at the current dose and those who would um, switch him to raltegravir. Uh, this is really interesting because I think there are a lot of people in this audience, including some of your faculty members, who would agree with leaving him on boosted atazanavir because he's doing well and um, because the drug interaction data between telaprevir, bosepravir, and boosted atazanavir don't look all that bad. However, if you did that, you'd be going against what is now in the package insert for bosepravir because bosepravir clearly says do not combine boosted PIs uh, with uh, this agent. So uh, we'll have a chance to maybe talk about that a little further, but interesting a conflict between what a lot of us would do in clinical practice and what's actually in the package insert, at least for bosepravir. For telaprevir, it's different. Adizan boosted adizanavir is the only boosted PI allowed with telaprevir. Okay, and the reason for that is that the impact of telaprevir on adizanavir is not that bad. In fact, a little bit of an increase in adizanavir concentrations 17% uh, increase in the AUC and a, about a doubling of the trough concentration with telaprevir. Um, with darunavir and fosamprinavir, a substantial drop in concentrations. Don't use these drugs with telaprevir. And with lopinavir, no change in lopinavir concentrations. However, 
uh, lopinavir dramatically reduces tolaprevir concentrations. And of these four boosted PIs, the only one that's considered acceptable is boosted atazanavir, which only decreases the tolaprevir AUC by 20%. Now, with bosepravir, it's similar but not identical. And this is where things get tricky. So with bosepravir, the darunavir effect looks about the same. The lopinavir effect, there's actually a decrease in the lopinavir AUC instead of no change. And with atazanavir, instead of an increase in AUC, there's a 35% decrease in AUC. Why is that? I have no idea. This is another one of these sources of confusion. Nobody knows why uh, uh, bosepravir has decreased the concentrations of boosted atazanavir and boosted lopinavir. Um, if you look at the effect of these drugs on bosepravir concentrations. With boosted atazanavir, you only get a 5% fall in the bosepravir AUC. Much greater decreases with lopinavir and darunavir. And this is why some people think it is probably acceptable or maybe acceptable to use boosted atazanavir with bosepravir. There are data from the co-infection study that Mark Solkowski presented at Croy showing that people on boosted atazanavir who take bosepravir clinically do just fine, and they don't fail, they don't have rebound of their HIV uh, any more frequently than uh, one would anticipate if there were no drug interactions there. However, the FDA is being cautious and is asking us not to use these drugs together. So this is a summary table of what's happening with the HCV PIs and the HIV PIs. So in some cases, both seprevir and telaprevir look identical, for example, with uh, boosted darunavir. But in other cases, for example, with atazanavir, it's really confusing. So with boosted atazanavir, uh, you, get, um, a, you get an increase in atazanavir concentrations with telaprevir, but a decrease with bosepravir. With lopinavir, you get a decrease with bosepravir and no change with telaprevir. So how are we going to sort that all out? Well, it's not easy to do it based on uh, first scientific principles because I can't develop one that would help explain that. This is where things get a little simpler, raltegravir. And the good news with this drug is that there's really no clinically significant interaction, pharmacokinetic interaction between raltegravir and either uh, bosepravir or telaprevir. So with telaprevir, you get about a 30% increase in the raltegravir area under the curve. It's been postulated this is due to a drug transporter effect, but no definitive data on that yet. And really no significant change with uh, with uh, bosepravir and, and raltegravir. Uh, so most, most of us would agree that it's safe to use uh, raltegravir with uh, either of these uh, HCVPIs. And this is just a look at the uh, effect, of effect of raltegravir on the uh, telaprevir pharmacokinetics showing essentially overlapping curves. Okay, what about some other important drug interactions with uh, HCVPIs? Um, I want to uh, talk about um, tenofovir and efavirenz because this is potentially clinically significant. With telaprevir, you get an increase in tenofovir concentrations, about a 30% increase in the area under the curve. Um, a 5% increase with bosepravir, really not, uh, probably not clinically significant. Um, if you measure tenofovir renal clearance, it in most patients goes down with telaprevir, suggesting that this is an effect of inhibition of a renal transporter, since tenofovir is 100% renally cleared. But what that transporter is has not yet been identified. 
And again, this is just Bosepravir showing no change in tenofovir concentrations with that drug. Now, what about efavirenz? Well, there's been one uh, reported study of tenofovir, uh, sorry, of uh, tilaprovir and efavirenz at standard doses, showing that there's a 20% decrease in the tilaprovir area under the curve, but a 50% decrease in the trough concentration, uh, probably as a result of induction of tilaprovir metabolism by um, efavirenz. And so you can partially uh, reverse this effect if you increase the tilaprovir dose from 750 milligrams every eight hours to 1125 milligrams every eight hours. However, that means, uh, that means four pills three times a day instead of three, sorry, it means, um, yeah, four pills three times a day instead of three, and it all, no, three pills three times a day instead of two, I'm thinking about bosepravir, three pills three times a day instead of two, and um, insurance companies sometimes balk at, at picking up the cost, which increases from $50,000 per treatment to $75,000 per treatment. So most of us aren't very thrilled about this as a way to offset this drug interaction. Um, what about methadone? This is a recently reported study looking at the uh, interaction between uh, tilaprovir and methadone. A lot of our HIV, HCV, and uh, uh, mono-infected patients are taking methadone. Um, what do we know about the combination of tilaprovir and methadone? Well, what happens with tilaprovir and methadone is you do get about a 30% uh, decrease in the methadone area under the curve with tilaprovir. But if you measure unbound concentrations of the active stereoisomer of methadone, this R-minus methadone, uh, you find no change in free drug concentrations. Um, methadone, this stereoisomer is highly protein-bound. Tilaprovir is highly protein-bound. This is almost certainly a protein-binding displacement interaction. So even though you're displacing methadone from its protein-binding sites, at steady state, the free drug concentrations are identical, which is what you would expect with protein-binding displacement because the clearance rate of the free drug is unchanged. And um, uh, so you can, uh, uh, the, the recommendation is no methadone dose adjustment is necessary if you give these two drugs together, um, despite this decrease in the total concentrations of methadone, because the free concentrations are unchanged. Okay, uh, I'm going to finish up with some concluding remarks. How do, how do we make sense of all these drug interactions with uh, bosepravir and tilaprovir. Well, some of these interactions are clearly mediated by inhibition of cytochrome P453A4. Those are the easy ones. Some are probably mediated by drug transport proteins, particularly P-glycoprotein and renal transporters, for example, with digoxin and with uh, tenofovir. But some of these interactions actually don't make sense uh, and require further explanation. And here's a summary table uh, that Jennifer Kaiser put together for a meeting we had um, in April. And what she's done is she's, she's listed all of the drug interactions reported with uh, bosepravir tilaprovir. And the green ones are, are interactions that make sense based on known uh, pharmacokinetic mechanisms, either uh, um, CYP3A4 inhibition or drug transport protein inhibition. The, the yellow ones here are ones that we can sort of explain 
Um, and largely, these are interactions in which uh, one of the drugs is different than the other, and the difference is explained by the fact that maybe tilaprevir is a more potent 3A4 inhibitor than bosepravir. Uh, maybe tilaprevir inhibits some renal transporters that bosepravir doesn't. But at the bottom here in the red, not very easy to read, but these are interactions that just don't make sense. So one is ritonavir, where you get an increase in ritonavir concentrations uh, with um, uh, uh, with uh, or you get an, uh, uh, in, yeah, an increase in ritonavir concentrations with tilaprevir, but a decrease with bosepravir. We, we can't explain that. Um, the other is a boosted atazanavir, where uh, you get an increase in atazanavir concentrations with tilaprevir and a decrease in atazanavir concentrations with, with bosepravir. We just can't explain that. So um, what I would say is, these are, this is a situation where you've got to go and do your homework. You either need to work carefully with a closely with a pharmacist or you need to go to the internet every time you're going to prescribe uh, two of these drugs together uh, because some of these interactions are just not predictable. What about the future? Well, um, we know that there are a number of new DAAs coming online probably in the next uh, two to three years. Here are some of them that are in advanced clinical development the uh, Behringer-Ingelheim protease inhibitor, the Vertex, or sorry, the uh, uh, Tebotec protease inhibitor, uh, the Cladosphere, which is an NS5A inhibitor, the uh, Gilead a nucleoside analog, GS7977, um, alisporavir. Four of the five, of, for the five of, out of five of these drugs are CYP3A substrates. All except the Gilead nucleoside analog are cytochrome P453A4 substrates. So automatically, four of the five of these drugs are going to be susceptible to drug interactions involving um, uh, bosepravir tilaprevir, as an example. Um, some of these drugs, however, uh, appear to be less susceptible to pharmacokinetic drug interactions than do tilaprevir or bosepravir. Um, the only drug on that list that I would say looks clean so far is the Gilead nucleoside in, uh, uh, um, analog. Uh, and like HIV nucleoside analogs, less potential for drug interactions overall. This, this drug is uh, almost entirely renally eliminated. Um, and so um, more drugs like this would be really helpful, particularly in the co-infected patient population, because this will reduce the likelihood of clinically significant drug interactions. Alisporavir, not a lot of data yet, but it is a substrate for, for all of these drug transporters, so that might uh, be an issue. Anyway, stay tuned, because the hope is that many of the next-generation DAAs will be less susceptible to drug interactions than bosepravir to laprevir. So um, just a plug, and this is in your handout, for I think one of the best drug interaction websites for hepatitis C drugs out there. This is the HEP drug interactions website from the group at the University of, Louis, uh, of Liverpool. It's updated frequently. I almost said Louisville looking at Mike Sag here. Uh, it's updated frequently. It is authoritative. I, I think it's a very good resource, uh, but um, uh, it may still be uh, uh, reasonable to pair a, a resource like this with uh, uh, striking up a friendship with a knowledgeable pharmacist when it comes to managing these issues. Uh, I want to thank Jennifer Kaiser from the University of Colorado who prepared a number of the tables she so uh, uh, nicely shared with me. Um, and uh, the, uh, this is from a presentation she made about six weeks ago, so I think this is quite up to date. And also thank Dave Thomas and Doug Dietrich who shared uh, two of their cases with me. Uh, and I'll be happy to take other questions. Thanks.